My name is Bryony Schwan. I'm the executive director and co-founder of the Biomimicry Institute, which is part of Biomimicry 3.8. We've heard a lot in the last few days about the problems that we face. Everything from an industrialized food system to the pollution that's the polluting that our planet to our insatiable appetite for fossil fuels. But thanks to Bioneers, we've also heard some incredibly inspiring stories about people who are working so hard to find solutions to these challenges. So the question is, how are we going to create a sustainable future? Well, the answer is all around us. It's right outside. Life has been on this planet for 3.8 billion years. Whether it's architecture, engineering, chemistry, or as Paul Stammen said yesterday, developing sophisticated networks in Japan based on the slime mold, organisms have done everything that we want to do, but they've done it sustainably, without polluting the planet, without guzzling fossil fuel, and without mortgaging their future. Biomimicry is the conscious emulation of nature's genius. Whether it's designing fans that are 30 to 70 percent more efficient by looking at the ubiquitous spirals that we see everywhere in nature, thanks to the amazing work of Jay Harmon and Pack Scientific, whether it's building buildings, mimicking a termite mound, buildings that don't need heating, heating units or air conditioning, that self-cool, mimicking the patterns in a termite mound, or whether it's creating non-toxic glues by mimicking or copying the recipe of the blue mussel. And I can go on and on and on. But biomimicry is not just about making products. It's about looking at the deep patterns and relationships that we see in nature and emulating those patterns so that we can live sustainably on this earth, so that we don't put ourselves and a single other species onto the Endangered Species Act, or list. Biomimicry is a love story that promises us a sense of hope in a time when we face tremendous challenges. And it is my great pleasure today to introduce you to my colleague, a woman who's been working in the field of biomimicry for more than 14 years. When Janine Benyus's book, Biomimicry Innovation Inspired by Nature, was published in 1997, Dana Baumeister was doing her PhD at the University of Montana. And she read Janine's book, and she just said, I got to talk to her. So she rushed down to Janine's house, and they talked for 14 hours straight. <laughs> when she left, she said she shook for three days. She says her mother thought she was on drugs. <laughs> she was so excited. And since that time, she and Janine have been practicing biomimicry, they've been consulting, and been teaching. Dana has developed, along with our amazing staff, a plethora of courses in biomimicry, from a soon-to-be-launched online course to multi-day workshops out in ecosystems all over the planet, to a two-year professional certificate course, the world's first one. She has been designing and consulting with companies from little companies to Fortune 400 companies. Her students describe her as one of the most inspiring teachers they've ever had. 
She is a phenomenal ecologist. Her knowledge of nature is to take you on a magical walk. And it is my great pleasure and honor to introduce my colleague, Dr. Dana Baumeister. Thank you. Wow. Seeing all of you, I think the world's going to be okay. So, um, sitting here in the audience with us today is my 11-year-old son, Xander. He's up here in the front. And um, Xander actually is a huge fan of fantasy novels. And this is despite having two biologist parents who would actually love it if he really geeked out on natural history books, but no, he's got his head off in some place that isn't real, or so I thought. And he likes to uh, tell me about these novels and, you know, being the good parent, I listen carefully, but I'm really not all that interested. But what I have learned when we look at these novels, is, and he tells me the story of the novels, is they actually all kind of follow the same plot. And it goes something like this. There is a beautiful, incredible land that everyone has come to cherish and love that is in peril. There is some evil being or species or entity that not all that unsurprisingly used to be part of the good side and has gone wayward and has slipped over to the dark side and is causing harm, is threatening the state of this incredible land. And in the book, whatever the plot might be, um, you know, people are living in fear. They're living in fear of this oppressive thing that is going to take away their incredible life. And they sort of hunker down and always worry when the next attack might be. And then there's always some young hero or heroine or maybe a couple of them, that are curious. And they have a suspicion that life doesn't need to be this way. They're probably sort of the misfits. They're the kids that are off on the side of the playground. They're not necessarily following the rules. And with a little sort of coaxing from some elders, some wise elder in the community, some mysterious woman with old craggly hair, or who knows what it is, they're sort of coaxed along towards some potential secret, some magic, some way of discovering and revealing what you need in order to conquer or to take back, to remove that evil. And so the curious ones set out, they have a little bit of an adventure and they stumble here and there and they're guided a little more with the elders. And eventually they discover the magic wand or the magic book, or the magic vessel. And then they have to open it, and they have to figure out and unlock it and decipher its secrets. And then once they do, they're a little timid at first, not quite sure, because they're just kids, right? 
But they figure it out, and when it ultimately comes down to it in the end, they discover that it was the secrets, but it was what they had inside. It was their inner spirit, their inner strength, their inner self that helped them bring peace and love and wellness and joy back to the world to actually welcome back, in many cases, that wayward evil spirit back to the good side and the better side. And so I see and I listen to these stories and really the plot really is the same. Whether it's the owls or the, I don't even know the names of these creatures, I can't even pronounce their names in these books. And it occurred to me that we are living a non-fiction fantasy right now, right? And the beauty of this, actually, is that while we have many curious youth in our world, actually, we are the young ones. We're actually, as a species, Homo sapiens is an incredibly young species, right? If we take the age of the planet, which is four and a half billion years. Now, billion actually doesn't sound like that much because we use trillion dollars when we talk about deficits and things. <laughs> but billion is a really long time, okay? So let's look at this, 4.5 billion. We're like, yeah, okay, that's, you know, one bomber or something. But <laughs> January 1st, the Earth is born, okay? A breath before midnight, the birth of the earth. And we stand over here on December 31st, right before midnight, okay? So 365 full days the planet's been around. Well, life, life was born on February 25th. So the first two or one and a half months was that primordial soup thing that no one really quite understands. And then we have the earliest, earliest bacteria show up. And stromatolites are still on the planet today. And then through March, we slowly, slowly get to the point where photosynthesis evolves. Right? It's capturing that CO2 and creating oxygen, a really important function for the success of life on this planet. But what's really cool is the whole summer, April, May, June, July, and most of August, it's just single-celled organisms ruling the planet. And it's not until August 16th that we have two or more cells showing up in an organism. And unfortunately, we had to wait all the way till September 17th for sex to happen. Right? <laughs> but by September 17th, we start to see meiosis and mitosis and genes mixing. And when we mix, as we learned from Nina this morning, when we mix, then the diversity and what's possible explodes. So very rapidly thereafter, in November, okay, so sex is happening, all sorts of things are turning up. Paul taught us how incredibly cool the mushrooms are. Well, it's not surprising. They were one of the first things to show up on terra firma. So they've been around for a whopping six weeks of this planet. So November 15th is when the mushrooms show up. And then the fish, the vertebrates in the sea, 
come later in November. Then we have to wait till December. Oh, sorry, November 22nd, we see land plants. Land plants. So the fungus beat the land plants. And then in December, oh, boy, there's still more things coming. So November 24th, we have insects, right? The whole invertebrate land world. And these are dung beetles. Right? Pretty important species even today. Now in December, the amphibians show up like this glass frog. And then the lizards, the reptiles, and the reptiles ruled for a really long time, 350 million years of dominance by the reptiles ruling the planet. This one's relatively small compared to the ones that were around for quite a while. Mammals showed up just two weeks ago, <laughs> December 13th. And the birds, even more recently, after the mammals. Flowers, believe it or not, are just 11 days old. That beautiful set of colors and relationships between beetles and flowers and insects and flowers is only 11 days old. And the dinosaurs went extinct a really long time ago, right? Christmas, tough day for the dinosaurs. <laughs> 6.30 in the evening is that asteroid when it hit the planet and took out the dinosaurs just six days ago. Our ancestors, the hominids, the first two-legged organisms, have only been on the planet for 12 and a half hours of our whole year, of 365 days. 12 and a half hours. Us, we, us, Homo sapiens. Take a guess how long we've been here. 24 minutes. 24 minutes we've been on this planet. And the entire agricultural revolution, 10,000 years of agriculture, one second. One second. So hopefully I have you convinced that perhaps we are the young ones. We are the young ones, and we're also the curious ones. You're here because you're curious. You're here because you believe, like those children in the fantasy novels, that the world doesn't have to be the way it is, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to be subject to the wayward members of even our own set of species on the planet. We are the curious ones, and you know many others out there. And the elders are the other life forms that we share this planet with. And there's millions of them. God, what a great ratio in our favor, right? Millions of elders to guide the way for us. There's estimates anywhere from 8 million to 30 million, some people are even guessing 100 million elders 
And these are the ones that are still around. We've many, many, many have gone extinct. This is the 1% that's still left on the planet, the ones that know how to live here well. And these elders, such as the humpback whale, have guided some of us. They've given clues to things like how to build better wind turbines, like this one here. The tubercules on the front of the humpback whale provide an efficiency to wind turbines, allowing wind to be effective and efficient in areas where it wouldn't otherwise be. Or spiders and their magic secret of why birds never crash into their webs. Right? They actually contain ultraviolet reflective fibers, and birds see ultraviolet light, so birds see their webs. So this company in Germany is embedded ultraviolet fiber reflectors, or reflective fibers, in their glass to prevent bird collisions. Or learning how coral, coral and many, many of the, the critters in the sea who biomineralize, they sequester carbon dioxide and they put it into building blocks. They fix it into building blocks. And right here, um, just 50 miles south, Calera has perfected that process to make cement. So cement that actually sequesters carbon dioxide instead of producing carbon dioxide in its production. And even down at the microscopic level, so small, you actually have to create a diagram because you can't take a picture of it. This is inside the cell membranes. We have these pores called aquaporins, and they're incredibly selective. They only pull water through. They leave out the junk on the other side. This company in Denmark called Aquaporin has created membranes that passively but rapidly filter the crap out of our water, right? The stuff that we put into it thanks to these membranes incredibly powerful technology for desalination and detoxifying our fresh waters. Or even things like the little tardigrade. I mean, you guys remember in eighth grade looking through the microscope at the little cute water bear? Right? This is the tardigrade. Shrivels up and can stay dried up for decades. And add water, it revitalizes and comes back to life. Talk about an incredible preservative that is now being put in vaccines in eliminating both the need for the cold chain, which is the refrigeration of the vaccines, and the mercury and the aluminum and the formaldehyde that we normally put in vaccines. So some of these elders have connected with some of the curious ones. But unfortunately, this is, uh, it's not enough. Uh, we still live in a world in which we can take photographs like that because we are spewing CO2. And we can still take photographs like this because we're still producing things that are not friendly for ourselves, let alone the other life cells on this planet. And we can still take pictures like this, which are this incredibly inane, insane social dynamic of interaction or not, right? So we have to do more. 
we actually need to find that magic book. The clues that the elders are giving us, more of us need to pay attention, and we need to find that magic secret book. We need to find life's operating manual. Well, I have some good news. It has been written, and we aren't without those ideas. We are not without those answers. Collectively, when we look at nature across the board, we can discover an amazing set of deep patterns that all of the elders practice. And if all of the elders practice it, there's probably something to that, right? There's probably some lessons in there. And there's elders that bring themselves to us today that represent those. And I'd like you to pick one of these elders up on, this, on the screen right now who might be your mentor. Maybe it's the Baobab. Maybe it's a barnacle. Maybe it's ants or an iguana or the Namibian beetle or the lotus or the Boletes mushrooms, or an elephant. These are going to be our guides today to give us some insight into some of the incredible deep patterns. From the Baobab, we learn that we need to integrate development with growth. We cannot just grow. We have to build an infrastructure. We have to build from the bottom up in a cellular and nested way. It allows us to move forth into the world. We learn from the iguana that we can build incredible materials. We can create fabulous colors. We can do it without heating and beating and treating. We can do it with chemistry that's based in water and not in alcohols or benzenes or other nasty solvents. We can do it using a very safe subset of the periodic table. Just because the whole periodic table's there doesn't mean we have to use the whole thing, right? <laughs> and when we do make toxins, like the relative of the iguana, the Komodo dragon, they break down into benign constituents. They're produced locally, on demand, only in the quantities needed. There is no storage tank of hazardous waste. And the lizard, the iguana, teaches this, us this. From the barnacles, we can learn that there are really valuable ways to gather readily available materials. Those really hard shells are made from the minerals that are floating around in the seawater. And they're assembled in a self-assembly, very low-energy process that makes the best use of what is available from the ocean, from the sky, from the water, from the soil. It doesn't ship its raw materials from halfway around the planet to build that. And from the lotus, we can learn that if we use shape, we can achieve our functions. We can fit our form to function. If you look at a lotus leaf up close, it's got little nano bumps, and that's what allows it to bead this water and let it keep clean. And the leaf doesn't just keep clean, it also gathers energy, it provides support for fertilization. Imagine if our designs met multifunctional needs. We could learn 
from the lotus and many others. The Namibian beetle teaches us to be locally attuned and responsive. It crawls up on a sand dune, and when the fog comes in, it lifts its elytra into the fog, and water condenses on the backs of its, its wings and rolls down to its mouth, giving it a drink in a desert where there is no rain. It leverages those cycles, and it fits in place. This is what the beetle can teach us. And the mushroom, oh gosh, I mean, we can't even get started on what we could learn from the mushrooms, right? But fitting in and evolving over time, integrating and creating relationships with the forest, tying oneself, it's not a set of individual entities. It is one very much integrated, interdependent community. From the elephant, we learn that evolving and adapting over time to survive. The elephant lives on the planet because it had a lucky mutation of a gene that gave it wrinkled skin. It allowed it to grow so big and dissipate the heat when the glaciers retreated 11,000 years ago. Evolving to survive and learning to fit in. But all of these species, including the ants, which teach us that building webs, self-organizing, fostering cooperative relationships are the way of living on the planet. Now, these are just the mentors. These are just the representatives that have showed up in our operating manual on behalf of the other 30 million species. But what they all have in common, they all can put their name before that word create. I create conditions conducive to life. We create conditions conducive to life. You can create conditions conducive to life. When we do that, we've figured out the magic key. We've solved what we need to solve for. But it's not just those creatures. All of these creatures represent lessons for us to learn from. And you don't have to be a fancy scientist. You don't have to be a geeky biologist or a, a dorky engineer or an uptight business person or a flamboyant designer or whatever it might be, because <laughs> we have them all and they all have to come together. It is about all of you and all of your curiosities and what you bring to the table because all of these lessons can be learned. When you consider them all collectively, what does life do? We call it WWND, what would nature do? <laughs> and bring that to the table as you go forth in the world. Then all of us, as the curious ones, really can go out and pull these lessons. The more we reconnect, the more we build on what needs to happen and what needs to be done Every one of these offers something for us. Just out, offside the shore, the kelp forest. Think of just the lessons alone from the kelp forest, from the organisms that swim in the sea, from the caterpillars that grow on our branches. Underground, I mean, think if you could just hang out underground for a little while and what you could learn 
going through a process of metamorphosis, everyone is asking us. Remember in our fantasy novel, the elders want us to succeed. They are counting on us to succeed. Every single species that's out there. I don't want to live in a world in which we don't have these elders as our friends. I've never seen a redwood forest. So that's one of the reasons my son's here, because that's where we're going after this. I just want to like roll around in that right now. Because that's what gives me hope. Life is so incredibly resilient. And never, ever, ever forget that we are life too. We're not alone. We aren't alone. But we have a job to do. And it's a three-part job. We need to reawaken curiosity. This is Xander's sister, Anya. And we need to go back into that childlike mind and reconnect with that self and that sense of wonder that says, I actually don't have all the answers. And then we need to embrace the wisdom that we discover. And then, I actually think this is a really, really important piece of it. We need to reconnect with our own humanity. We need to bring back the wayward ones and show them how incredibly beautiful our planet is and can be again. Thank you.